Today we pick up in our sermon series, Unordinary Time. A reminder that even though the church calendar tells us we are in ordinary time, nothing in our world seems ordinary right now. And so we are embarking on a sermon series that reminds us that we serve an unordinary God and that the stories of scripture actually speak to us in these crazy and unusual times. Today we are turning to the Hebrew Bible, which is sometimes called the Old Testament, to learn from the story of Elijah. Now, in Scripture, there's a whole section of books called the Prophets, the Major and Minor Prophets. And most often, the stories of the Prophets are contained in books, which are named after each individual Prophet, like Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. But some Prophets, like Elijah and Elisha, have their stories contained as part of a bigger narrative. Elijah's story is part of the narrative that we find in 1 Kings. The story of when God's people demanded that God give them a king to rule over them. And the prophets then are sent to help redirect the people towards God. Elijah's story that we'll hear today actually comes at the end of his ministry. And so I want to give you a little context before we begin reading. You see, the story of Elijah comes in 1 Kings 17, 18, and then what we'll read today is out of 19. Elijah's been called to go to the king's people and to tell them to turn away from worshiping the god Baal. Before we enter the story today, Elijah's already faced off with 450 priests of Baal. A challenge was set before them that they should put out an offering, an animal sacrifice to both gods, and whoever shows up first to consume the animal would be the god to be worshipped. Well, Elijah and the 450 priests sat and waited for the offering to be consumed, but Baal never showed up. Instead, the one God of Israel came down and consumed the offering by fire. And all of the people bowed down and worshipped Elijah's God, the one God of Israel. And Elijah then executed 450 priests of Baal. Now, for Elijah, this should have been the pinnacle of his ministry. He had gone where God had sent him. He had done what God had asked him to do. He had been triumphant. And yet, after this victorious scene, we find out that one of the influential people in the king's court named Jezebel is very angry that Elijah has murdered the priest of Baal. And she sends people out with the instructions to do to Elijah what Elijah did to the priest. In other words, she tells them to go and kill Elijah. And so Elijah flees. And as Elijah is fleeing from Jezebel and those who would harm him, an angel of the Lord comes to him and says that he should go to Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai. And that's where we pick up the story today in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. The Lord's word came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I am the only one left and now they want my life too. The Lord said, Go, 
Go out and stand before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. A very strong wind tore through the mountain and broke apart the stones before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound. Then, quiet. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat. He went and stood out at the cave's entrance. A voice came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? He said, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I am the only one left and now they want to take my life too. The Lord said to him, go back through the desert to Damascus and anoint Haziel as king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, Nimshi's son, as king of Israel. And anoint Elisha from Abel Meloah, Shaphat's son, to succeed you as prophet. Whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. But I have preserved those who remain in Israel, totaling 7,000. All those whose knees haven't bowed down to Baal and whose mouths haven't kissed him. You know, when I have encountered this scripture in the past, I've always found myself drawn to that image of Elijah out on the mountain, stepping out from the cave, waiting for the Lord to pass by. I've been drawn to that scene where there's a mighty wind an earthquake, fire, and yet God is not in any of those big grand things. God is in the thin, quiet space. I think I've always been drawn to this piece of the scripture in ordinary times because life can be so hectic. From commuting to driving kids, from activity to school to activity, meetings, all of the things that can fill up our lives, it's nice to read this scripture and remember that there are thin, quiet places where we can find God if we just sit and listen. Yes, that's where I have been drawn to this scripture in the past during ordinary times, but I have to tell you, I'm not doing a lot of commuting right now. My kids aren't driving to many activities at all, and they're not even going to be driving to school. Meetings have slowed down or gone virtual on Zoom. And I find that in my own life, even with a husband and two small children in my house, there are still these big pockets of silence. And there's a lot of time where I travel well-worn paths in my house from the kitchen to my bedroom to the office to the living room. And I spend a lot of time looking at the same four walls and the same people. So I don't really find it that hard anymore to imagine that there are times and places of silence. The global pandemic has done enough to remind me of that reality. 
Instead, today, when I hear the words of this scripture, I am actually drawn to this person, Elijah, who I've never really given much thought. I guess in all of my reading, I never really thought about the fact that when Elijah arrives at that cave, he's scared, he's tired, he's defeated, he's frustrated, he's burned out, and he's ready to give it all up. When Elijah goes to the mountain to seek protection and a word from the Lord, he is at the end of his rope. Elijah is not a new prophet waiting for a call from God. Elijah is a man who has been serving the Lord and now finds himself in a place where he doesn't know what to do next. It's in this place of seeking where God comes to Elijah, not to call him to new ministry, but to, as one scholar says, recall him, to give him new instructions, new life, new direction. I wonder if this word might contain some good news for us today. If we find ourselves in a place where we are frustrated and burned out and tired and worried about what might be coming next. A group of leaders in our congregation have been meeting together to talk about the church, where we have been, what we're called to in the future, and specifically to talk about what it means to be in leadership in our world and in this time. They have been pulled together as an exploratory team for a simplified accountability structure. And every time we meet together, we come having read a book. In our most recent meeting, we discussed chapters out of a book by Matt Miosky, a Methodist pastor who's written a book called Let Go, Leaning into the Future Without Fear. What I found so interesting about Miofsky's book is that he takes the struggles that the church has been facing for decades now, and he places them in the context of the story that we find in Exodus, the story of Moses and the Israelites, the story of a people who were once enslaved in Egypt, who are set free by God only to travel through the wilderness before finally arriving in the promised land. What Miofsky points out in his book is that so often we think it's Egypt to the promised land, a direct route, but we forget that the people traveling, the people of Egypt following Moses had to go through many valleys before they reached what they were looking for. That there were many times on their journey that they were confused and frustrated and upset. There were times that they feared the Lord was going to let them starve to death. And yet time and time again, God was faithful, calling them to a new place and a new way of being. And Miofsky says this, Like so many of us, the Israelites expected a life of following God to be one of blessing. They did not understand that they would have to trust God to take them through a number of valleys that would be strange and scary. It turns out that for the Israelites as they followed Moses, when they arrived at Mount Sinai, that same mountain that we find Elijah on today, they found themselves at a turning point. 
Because as you might remember, Mount Sinai is the mountain that Moses goes up to receive the commandments from God and to take them back down to the people right at the point of chaos for the Israelites. And it's those commandments, that word from God, that forms the people together as a community, that gives them a sense of purpose and identity and reminds them that their God is faithful. Mount Sinai, for those people, is a turning point, just as it is for Elijah in today's story. Elijah, who has come to this mountain because he is tired. He is tired of traveling alone. He is scared for his life, and he doesn't know where else to turn. It is when Elijah is frustrated and broken and grasping for any hope that God comes to him and reminds him of who he is and whose he is and gives him a new calling to anoint the next generation of leaders, to anoint the kings and prophet that will carry the people into the next phase of Israel's life. Elijah finds God not in grand displays of earthquake or wind or fire, but in a moment of thin silence that disrupts the chaos of Elijah's life and directs him in a new way. You know, sometimes I wonder if this unordinary time in our world, this unprecedented time in our lives might be for us our own Mount Sinai moment. I mean, can you imagine any other situation in which the world would just pause for months on end. Can you imagine anything, anything before this time that would have caused the church to pause gathering together? I don't think in my wildest dreams or nightmares I could have envisioned where we find ourselves today, and yet here we are. Our lives upended, our communities upended. In some ways, we are in an unimaginable place, And yet it's in this place that we find ourselves open to thinking about God and our lives in new ways. Now, I'll admit on some days, I want to join Elijah in that cave. I want to just crawl inside and roll a stone over the door and hide from everything that is changing. And yet, as much as I want to give up when I pause and I find that moment of silence, I am reminded that there is something greater coming next. I'm reminded that if I can pause and just be, that maybe I can hear the voice of God calling me and calling us to a new place. Just like the people of Israel and like Elijah, we don't know the future that God is calling us to right now. We can't sit in the middle of this story and say what that future hope looks like. But as people of faith, we know it's there. We know that even though we are going through the valleys, God has set before us a hope that something better is coming. That something better may not come at any time that we can imagine, but we know that by God, God's people will be cared for. What I love about Miofsky's book and what I love about this story of Elijah 
is that it reminds us that even though we can't see into the future, even though we can't imagine what God is doing in our world, how God is working for good, we can choose to step out in faith. Now, this is not an easy thing to do, and it oftentimes requires us to stop and remember where God has already been faithful to us, to honor and acknowledge all of the places we have come from, and then seeing God's faithfulness in the past, trust that if we step out in faith again, God will again work and be honored by our actions. And so today I find myself wondering, if we're in our own Mount Sinai experience, if we are like Elijah sitting on a mountain at our breaking point, if we find ourselves in such an unusual and unbelievable place, how might God be recalling us today to be the church? What does it look like if we find that thin, quiet place and imagine how God is calling us to anoint what will come next. I believe God has been with us and is with us in all of these ways. And I know that no matter how frustrated we get, no matter how angry we get, no matter how much we want to cry out to God, to remind God that we are doing the very best we can, that God is open to that. God is open to us and God has not left us alone. That even though there might be silence, God is there in the silence, calling us to imagine what's next. Let us pray. Gracious God, in these unordinary times, in this unordinary space of silence that surrounds us. Help us not get caught up in returning to what always was. Instead, help us get thanks for what has been and to look forward to a new vision, a vision that you are leading your people and your church towards that you may be honored, that you may be glorified. God, we know that you have been faithful to us time and time again. That you have never left us even in our deepest valleys. And so, God, today we commit to step out in faith with you, knowing that you will lead us to that promised land. Thank you, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.